From the mountains to the coast, create memories, meet new people, and find your favorite wine, mead, or cider in NC. Download the NC Wine app or visit ncwine.org to plan your trip to North Carolina wine country today. Hi, I'm Joe. And I'm Matt. We're the NC Wine Guys. Welcome to Cork Talk. In this episode, we talk to Wendy and Kelvin Wooten of Moon Lake Vineyards in Olin, North Carolina. Wendy and Kelvin are grape growers producing four varietals on their property. They first planted the vineyard in 2007 with their first harvest in 2010. Throughout our conversation, you'll hear many of the challenges of growing grapes in North Carolina, and we'll hear how they deal with some of the more pesky issues. Wine Class with the Wine Mouths is back. This time, Jesse and Jessica talk to us about the grape Viognier. This episode is made possible in part by a grant from the North Carolina Wine and Grape Council. You can learn more about the council by going to their website, ncwine.org. So sit back, pour a glass, and listen. So today we welcome Wendy and Kelvin Wooten from Moon Lake Vineyards up in Olin, North Carolina. Welcome to Cork Talk. Welcome. You guys, thank you so much for having us. So maybe we start with Wendy and introduce yourself and tell us all about what you do at Mo- with Moon Lake Vineyards. Absolutely. Uh, I'm Wendy Wooten. Uh, Kelvin Wooten is here with me, my husband. We are the proprietors of Moon Lake Vineyards in Olin, North Carolina. We actually uh, moved here in uh, 2004 mm-hmm. to Kelvin's uh, family farm. We, we uh, reside on about 50 acres, and our vineyard is actually about four acres, exactly four acres, mm-hmm. of four varieties. And we'll get into that, I'm sure, uh, to some conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yes, uh, we are two of the crazy, amongst all the crazy people that uh, do this for a living. And, and uh, thank you so much for having us. Oh, absolutely. We're really happy to have both of you on the show today. Um, so uh, now to start off with, you're just grape growers, right? So you only grow the grapes. We only grow the grapes. Definitely thought about uh, having a tasting room at some point. And you don't make your money growing grapes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we only grow the grapes and we sell to uh, the people that know what they're doing in, in making wine. We don't do that part for sure. But we all drink the wine, right? Oh, of, of, yes. Actually, we're drinking beer today um, because I had a professor at uh, Surrey at one point tell me it takes a whole lot of beer to make good wine. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. Excellent. (laughs) So what inspired you to plant that vineyard? And when did you plant? Well, we're we're wine enthusiasts, always have been since our our relationship started, and moved to Kelvin's... uh, Again, his his family's farm. And as we were building the house, we would come here and, you know, at the beautiful, beautiful property and always think we, we should do this. But, but in that interim, Kelvin's family uh, is from a tobacco uh, background. Uh, they grew uh, tobaccos two generations at least. Two generations. Yes. They got out of that in the 80s. Yeah, it kind of the tobacco went down. There wasn't as many growers that would get into it, so it went down, and my dad just decided to get out of it. 
So he was kind of leasing the property, and that's when we took over. Yes. And, we, we, again, we would come here and think this property needs to be farmed. And the more we uh, started researching and hearing about other farms or other tobacco farms going to great vineyards, we were like, wow, maybe, maybe we could do this. And after a few more bottles of wine, <laughs> <laughs> we said, let's do it. Let's go for it. And, uh, mm. yeah, we uh, started doing a lot of research. We visited tons and tons of uh, uh, vineyards and growers and uh, asked a whole lot of questions. Found out about Surrey Community College mm-hmm. and their um, viticulture program. Signed up for that. And in the meantime, while I was at Surrey, worked for uh, a local vineyard. And that was actually the best education Thank goodness for Surrey, but thank goodness for uh, the opportunity to do an internship. We fell in love with it. We, we just said, we, we need to do this. So, Calvin, you mentioned your family has a history of tobacco growing. Talk to us a little bit about what that was like. Were you involved with that on, on the farm itself? Oh, yeah. Um, you know, from planting to hoeing to suckering to picking to uh, harvesting to curing, yeah, I was a, a big part of that for many years since I was a young uh, child. And we wasn't big. I mean, we wasn't a huge tobacco grower. We only had like four or five acres, but we uh, had corn, soybeans. I, I remember having cotton back in the day. So so we, we kind of uh, had rotational crops at all times. So now, Wendy, uh, how about for yourself then? Did you have any background in farming before you decided, let's get into grapes? Right. Uh, actually, I grew up on about a 20-acre mm-hmm. farm, but we only had like uh, cows, chickens. Uh, of course, my mom and dad did rotation crops. Uh, nothing as serious as, as, as grapes. This is something totally, totally different. So what year did you plant the vineyard? Initially. We actually uh, planted it in 2007, uh, which was a, a crazy, crazy year. I, I'm sure uh, some of your listeners that are growers will remember. April, it, was it uh, Easter weekend or the weekend before Easter? We, 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 did, we did two weekends mm-hmm. of planting our four acres. Uh, and the first weekend, it was 16 degrees. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Ridiculous. Uh, luckily, we had Surrey Community College uh, come out and help us with that, and friends and family. Um, we were in uh, toboggans and gloves, and, and it was ridiculously cold. And the following weekend, we were in shorts and T-shirts. Uh, it, it was 70, 80 degrees. Yeah, it went from one extreme to the other. And planning. It was crazy. A typical North Carolina spring, correct? <laughs> Very challenging. And also that year uh, was we in, one of the actually... Uh, the drought. Oh, it, it was. It may have hit the, a record for a drought. We had incredibly no water that year, no rain. Um, we actually had to plumb a um, water tank. We had two hoses that we were pumping water out of our pond that we have in front of the house, and we pump it in a tank, 
and good water to bind just to keep it alive. Yeah, the, the only time you want it to be to have the grapes to have is when you plant first plant and then. Not experienced that ever since, but we, you know because we have record rainfall within the last uh, <laughs> right. four years. That was a very challenging year. But we uh, we kept on alive. We had a great percentage of. Oh, they lived. They the, lived. We, that yeah. was the only reason they lived. Is is we were out there watering them yeah. daily. Um, otherwise, it, we would have uh, not had a, a successful uh, planting. True. Yeah. So, what varieties did you plant? We actually planted mm-hmm. uh, f- four different varieties, one acre each. Uh, we have uh, a Pinot Gris or Pinot Grigio, uh, an Italian white, obviously. Uh, we have uh, Tempranilla, which is a uh, Spanish red, and uh, uh, Tramonet, mm-hmm. a French-American hybrid. And we have uh, Montepulciano, a, uh, uh, an a, a Italian red. And we are just experimenting this year. We'll be planting this in the next couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. They should arrive. Um uh, Petit Verdot. Very cool. We hear that does very, very well in North Carolina. So yes, uh, we're, hope to, we're hoping to expand now. So how did you decide on those varieties? You know, we <laughs> did research these varieties very well before we planted. Uh, but uh, of those varieties, we were always told never plant a variety that you just love to drink. And we didn't. Uh, we've, we've heard all of those varieties do well in North Carolina, except Tempranilla. But we absolutely love Tempranilla, that earthy, Spanish, beautiful little red. And it's actually done very, very well on our site. We, we, uh, we're very proud of our, our Tempranilla. Yes. So how did you go about selecting the right clone or, sele- or did you just luck out and, and get a clone that worked? You know... And uh, for North Carolina, it, it's hard to um, uh, specify uh, your clones. You're very limited in, in what you can get. Uh, and, and obviously, you can't get those in North Carolina. You either It's more California or uh, New York, uh, upper New York, to, to get your clones and, and varieties or clones for varieties. You pretty much are at their... Uh, mercy as far as what they have in stock and even for uh, root stock hmm. uh, so yes we, you pretty much order the variety and, and hope that the clone is going to hmm. be good for your climate and, and soil yeah I don't know too much I mean we're, we're not we're not farmers we enjoy wine um, we know the basics of grape growing and things like that but tell us a little bit about how growing grapes is different than the other rotational crops that you would have well Grapes come back every year. Mm-hmm. Some crops you have to keep replanting. So we had tobacco, so it had to be replanted every year. If we had corn or soybeans or oats or wheat or whatever, it always has to be replanted. So this right here is established, and you just have to uh, keep cultivating it every year. But it's still here, and it keeps growing. You know, it's it's not like a normal crop like most farmers grow. Once you establish it, it's it's here, so and it, and it, it doesn't go anywhere. But it requires work all year. Oh, oh my! <laughs> a lot more, oh, sometimes my. a lot more work than uh, rotational crop. Yeah, I would imagine. So, so talk to us about maybe take us through the seasons and talk about 
kind of what are the the things that bring you joy of each season but but what are some of the challenges of each season well we just got through with pruning which is a huge uh, and and probably the most important part of the process of the growing season it sets the whole format for, for your growing season and the following growing season uh this week uh, i finally uh got the, the the shoots that we cut that we pruned and burned those and you do that if they harbor any disease you want those out of your vineyard to sure. get rid of that yeah that that's the first part of your your growing season and then bud break is so exciting and and such a huge part of everything that will be coming up we even see this week some bud swell mm -hmm. which means it's going to be just a few weeks before the buds pop and that's just 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 exciting uh spring is here and uh the grapes are getting ready to to flourish but you also deal with oh my goodness we need the correct sprays you know you get everything ready for shoot growth and canopy management which is the next phase when those shoots start uh, popping out again sprays are so important uh disease management is is ongoing throughout the season but yeah, if you're going into an order of things, the next thing is is uh, is canopy management, mm -hmm. and that is all season. We are out there from now until uh, October, uh, keeping uh, uh, shoots thinned out, leaves pulled. Gosh. Oh, spraying. Oh. <laughs> you know, continuous spraying, you know, herbiciding. Pesticide, there's always something to be done. Sprays are every, uh, probably every seven to 10 days. Mm -hmm. And that is strictly dependent on the weather. If we have a rainy season, you're going to spray more. Obviously, the drier it is, we love that. Yeah, we love dry weather. When we planned it was dry, which we didn't need. <laughs> the last few years have been the record rainfalls of the last hundred years. You have to take it and and deal with it as you can. It's a lot, guys. It's a lot. <clears throat> it's a lot. Some days are, uh, you know, 10-hour uh, days, seven days a week in the prime of everything going on. Uh, and then, you know, you'll uh, July, you, things start to uh, mature and you get a little bit of, of a four-hour day break. Uh, but, yeah, it it's intense. Grape growing is, is no joke. So typically when, when, so I'm assuming one of the whites is the first grape to be harvested. When, when does harvest typically start and has it, has it moved up in the last several years? It, it's funny. It, it, it depends. I agree. On the weather, your season, if it could be hot early, it could be an early uh, harvest season. If it's not, it could delay it. So it just depends. It's funny that most whites are harvested early, but we have a red tempranilla that a lot of times it's harvested earlier than our white. Oh, wow. So hmm. It just depends. Our, our, Pinot, uh, our Pinot Gris is usually the first to harvest, and that's um, mid to late August, which is early for, North, for, for a grape. But for North Carolina, um, not so much. And our Tempranilla is usually shortly after that. 
between late August and early September. And then our uh, Tramonette comes in. And then obviously uh, our Montepulciano is after that. I can't tell you enough. The most gratifying thing for a grape farmer is to get those uh, beautiful grapes off and into the hands of the winemaker. And, you know, you all that work is uh, in their hands now. And then you get a little bit of a break before you have to start the whole thing over again. Right. Right. But you still have to maintain the vineyard. Even after the harvest, you still have to spray and keep some kind of form of uh, uh, control on the vineyard, even through to the dormancy. So so talk to us a little bit about the different spray programs, maybe. So uh, I know probably a lot of our listeners are, are interested in, in kind of knowing the not necessarily the exact types or, you know, chemicals that you're using, but um, you mentioned like every seven to 10 days you're doing it, but in general, what types of, uh, what types of programs do you go through? Well, it's, you know, it depends on the weather. That's the main factor of how you spray. Uh, what most of the time we're spraying fungicides or pesticides, depending on the season. So, uh, you know, if we get, and then there is a few organic things we can put on there that we don't have to uh, overwhelm the grapes. The main thing is we have a lot of humidity. We have a lot of uh, rain right in the last few years. Depending on the time of year, we have to deal with beetles. We have to deal with so many insects that uh, invade the vineyard. So we have a spray program that we try to uh, incorporate by the uh, actual season or the actual temperatures that come on. You also have to deal with birds and deer as, as major pests as well, not, not only the insects, but... Yeah, those <laughs> pesty birds. We have a love-hate relationship <laughs> with birds. There are a few birds that are our friends. Uh, the martins, actually, um, we have a house for them because okay. they yeah. love the insects. We we enjoy uh, we enjoy inviting all the martins we can have. But the crows, oh my goodness, those smart little crow, big crows, and a few other birds, they will will they will be your enemy if you're a grape grower. And unfortunately, we have. Um, we have to shoot at those uh, pesky things. Uh, we we have some other alternatives. Mm. We have a bird call. That's a um, it, it's four speakers or six speakers that we have out in the vineyard. Uh, four speakers and it's like predators that deter birds from coming into the vineyard. Yes, it's on like a random uh, a, a random call mm-hmm. for those predator birds to scare the uh, scare the the mean birds, <laughs> but, uh, they're so smart. They catch on to this in a couple of weeks and they're like, okay, we hear that <laughs> we're coming back for your grapes. <laughs> I mean, there's predators, there's, like you said, birds, there's deer, there's raccoons, there's, uh, possums. I mean, and everything, foxes, everything, they do it in their own way. And then one a bird eats one way. The deer eat one way, the raccoons eat one way, the possums eat one way. You know, you just have to deal with it. It'd be great if they could all align on the way they want to do it. Like they all like just kind of form a buffet line, maybe. Um, <laughs> I think yeah. they do. Um, and a thing about the uh, one thing about the deer is we deal with those uh, twice a year. 
in about two months, when the shoots are about six inches and they're just so tender and uh, fresh, the deer come in and you'll be you'll wake up the next morning and they'll just have a beeline for uh, they, they, it looks like someone's just take a razor out there and, and taking off your your first line of uh, duty for your uh, for your growth. That's that's the deer. Uh, and then they, they definitely come back when the fruit is ready. Uh, they're such smart animals. And we actually, our uh, remedy for that is we have a uh, electric fence that's the parameter of the vineyard. That's true. It's about two feet from the shoots all the way around. And that, that does deter them, but then they figure that out and sometimes jump the fence or just or just go through it. Well, and we are lucky that the... Um state provides us with a permit that we can hunt and try to maintain the deer population deteriorate yeah. uh you know all all through the year it, that's one good thing about it. sounds like they're just canopy management engineers though right so they're, they're just trying to help you out with that canopy management well <laughs> speaking of that of canopy management for for insects japanese beetles are awful around july june or july and we kind of just let them be our, uh, we, we let them kind of do our hedging on, on the top of the, uh, of the shoots. Hmm. Come in and for some reason they love the top leaves. And we kind of, before we spray, we just let them kind of take care of our top hedging. <laughs> and, I, and if they do seem to be a threat, we, we do have to spray for those. But that is a nice way to kind of let them... Uh, Get 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 their little fill before we notice they're a problem. <laughs> sure, it's a creative way of thinking. I'm yeah. thinking about that. Sure. So talk to us about the differences in the in the clusters because you've got four different varieties. So I'm assuming there's a variety of shapes and some clusters might be looser than others. Talk to us a little bit about that. Absolutely. Well, first off, I would think of the the, uh, the Pinot Gris Pinot Grigio. Uh, they're a very small and tight cluster, which is uh, a, a challenge uh, when you deal with rots. Uh, we do have to worry with that early in the growing season. Uh, Kelvin puts a spray on to make sure that that's not going to be an issue. And then as the clusters uh, mature, we have to worry about disease pressure. And also uh, to help with that is canopy management, just keeping that airflow with not too many shoots. So we shoot thin vigorously and uh, uh, leaf thin to keep those clusters uh, open. Airflow is so important in a North Carolina vineyard. I can't stress that enough. So for the Tempranilla, those clusters are, are big, not tight. They do have a thin skin. So we Again, we just worry about uh, canopy management as far as airflow and uh, ripening. So we, we, we want those clusters to be free of, of uh, not too much shade, but enough uh, to ripen those as well. For our Traminette, for one thing we've done for the Traminette from the start, uh, everything on our uh, vineyard is uh, VSP, vertical shoot positioning. But for our Tremonet, we use a Smart Dyson. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, that canopy is actually one shoot up and then one shoot down, one shoot up, one shoot down. And 
uh, Tremonet is a uh, uh, French-American hybrid, and it's very vigorous, uh, which is a, a good thing, but yet not a good thing when you're in North Carolina with our growth. Uh, so to help with that vigor, uh, we came, we didn't come up with that trellis, but we found out that that's a good trellis system uh, for that variety. And plus it doubles your uh, uh, fruit. Yes, we get more fruit sure. uh, since we have a, a, a double system. Mm -hmm. The one negative for that system, though, is if you don't take care of your weeds, it's hard to control that since those vines are going downward. When we uh, hedge, you can just mow that, and they kind of the, the mowing kind of takes care of the hedging sure. on the bottom. Sure. But yes, that, that's uh, that's how we deal with uh, the traminette, mm -hmm. in I guess in a different way than than the um, VSP. Sure. And the uh, the Montepulciano, th those clusters are are big and hardy. We do deal with a little bit of uh, uh, disease pressure. True. And it is late harvest. It's a late harvest. Uh, but the clusters, I think that was the question, is how we deal with that. You, know, um, you, just, you just have to spray accordingly to the weather. You, you do. It, it's, all about, <laughs> it's all about sprays, guys. Have a plan, but then be ready to pivot and adjust if Very you need to. Very much so. So how much time in the week do you spend looking at the Oh, my goodness, Joe. Every day. Every, and, and that's even <laughs> I mean, for the week after. I mean, this morning we get up and look at the weather. We're looking at trying to get out here and do some stuff and spray for weeds and stuff. And next thing you know, it's raining. So you have to readjust and come back and think, well, okay, tomorrow we'll try to spray. But you look at the weather, if it's not according to what we need to do, then you readjust again. That's just part of it. So do you have a favorite weather app or a weather source that you go to? Uh, we use the... Weather.com. Weather.com, local weather. <laughs> we hit Alexa, just whoever, and just kind of go from there. There's so many. It's almost like you have to take like the average of four or five and then Absolutely. make it up as you go. But that's the weather. Absolutely. That's the weatherman, right? Today I was getting ready to go out and spray for weeds, and, you know, it was supposed to be going around us, and next thing you know... Oh, no, it's on us. So let me back up a little <laughs> bit. Well, and next thing you know, oh, there's another storm behind us. So you have to just kind of adapt to whatever's going on. Such as the life of a farmer. It's life farming. Of, so I think this is actually a really good spot for a quick little break. Um, we're going to go and uh, do our wine education segment, but then we'll be back. And we're going to talk um, obviously more about grapes, but... Where should we go after this? We can probably talk a little bit more, talk a, a little bit more in depth on quality. And, sure. And what's going on with that? All right, we'll be right back. It's time again for wine class with the wine mouths. Jesse and Jessica, welcome back. So good to be here. So, what great variety is on our agenda for today? Today we are going to be talking about Viognier. Ooh. Hey, that rhymed. <laughs> <laughs> one of my favorites. Yeah, it's a good one. So I thought I would start again with the pronunciation. So if you look at it and you try to pronounce it phonetically in English, you're going to just butcher the heck out of it. So it is not Wagner or anything like that. <laughs> it is Viognier. Um, I've also had, had seen it as Viognier, so different vowel, but 
Viognier is going to be a safe pronunciation and the correct one. So let's go with that. Um, yeah, so Viognier originated, as you might guess from, from its name, um, in France, specifically in southern France in the Rhone Valley. Um, and this is important because the Rhone Valley has rather warm climate, um, which you're going to see when Jesse talks a little bit about the vineyard and what it takes to produce a nice Viognier. So in the vineyard, um, Viognier is one of those grapes that uh, people love for kind of the wine it produces, but it can be very tricky in the vineyard, especially here in North Carolina. Um, Viognier produces some of the best wines when it's grown in sunny regions, but also regions that are moderated by cooler nights and potentially a body of water, as you see in the Rhone Valley in France. So sometimes it can be tricky here in North Carolina. You know, we are a sunny region, but we also, we don't necessarily have those super cool nights that help moderate that. So Viognier can be very difficult to grow, um, and often the it has low yielding vines. So even if it's a good year, you may not get as much fruit off of your vines as you would other varietals. Viognier is one of those, especially in North Carolina, the winery owner, or the vineyard owner has to kind of just love that grape and want to make it. It's definitely probably not going to be your most cost-effective <laughs> varietal to have in your vineyard. So it is a labor of love when you do have it. Yeah, we often hear people talk about just how fickle it is. Um, as you pointed out, you know, it could be a perfect growing season and you get little to nothing. And then the next season, it's a little more challenging. You might get a better crop. So it's very, very fickle is what we hear um, yeah. folks describe Vignet in the vineyard. Moving on to the winery, though, um, it's a really great grape for the winery. It's one of the aromatic white. It has a lot going for it. And with that, too, it's full bodied. So it's one of the grapes you could oak age if you wanted to. So you have a lot of versatility in the winery with being able to make it crisp and stainless, you know, a dry wine. You can oak age it or you could even make it off dry. And we've also seen it done as a late harvest wine, so a little bit sweeter, picked late. So there's just so many options with Viognier. And that's one of the things that we like about it is that, you know, no two Viogniers are the same. They can be a little bit different, and that's great. They're, that just makes it a, a, that's what makes it a great wine. And I do find, I do like the the clean, crisp Viogniers, but every once in a while, it's, it's fun to find one that has had a little oak treatment uh, just for that difference. There's also an old tradition, um, you'll see it a lot in the Rhone Valley, but where Viognier is blended with Syrah, and a lot of times it's actually interplanted that way in the, the vineyard, you know, so they're picked and made wine together in the same pass. So um, that's always cool if you find one of those as well. I don't think I've ever had one that I know of. What about you guys? So there's a couple of uh, places in North Carolina that are actually doing uh, a coat roti style um, Co sometimes a co-ferment or at least a blend uh, like that. So I know uh, Flint Hill, their synergy is typically uh, Syrah blended with Viognier. Of course, um, Triomphe at Junius Lindsay is also typically that. Sometimes there's, I think, Roussan in that blend. Um, mm -hmm. And then Elkin Creek has also done um, a Coteselea, I believe is what uh, Lewis calls that wine. And it's Similar, it's it's Syrah with, with a little Viognier in there. So there are a few producers in North Carolina doing it. There may be others. Uh, those are the ones that come to mind uh, right now. Uh, but yeah, they're they're interesting reds. You know, 
The Viognier does add sometimes more aromatics, as you pointed out, being an aromatic white. They're typically lighter than your uh, usual Syrah, but um, definitely interesting wines, so go check them out. When I get out of my quarantine well, foxhole, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a long list of wines and things that I want to try, so that is going on the list. Excellent. Very good. And they're always very food-friendly is what I was going to say. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, well, that's a perfect um, segue into it. The next thing, so we're going to talk about flavor and food. So it is one of the most aromatic of all white wines. Um, and, you know, of course, it's going to change based on how it did in the vineyard and how it is in the winery. But um, dominant flavors to look for, citrus like tangerine, stone fruits, so like peach, mango, and then some more florals like honeysuckle or rose. That's going to make it fun for pairing with food. Some of the thoughts we had on pairings would be like um, an off-dry Viognier with chicken curry or something a little bit more spicy Asian food like that, roast chicken, and even roasted chicken with some tricky, more um, unusual vegetables like leeks and fennel, uh, Jesse suggested. And I would be curious to try those together. I don't often cook with fennel. It's been on kind of on my rotation here at the end of last year going into the spring i used it in a couple of dishes and i don't mind roasted fennel but you know that's kind of a newer thing to me but i'm gonna have to try that yeah a little bit goes a long way with fennel yes absolutely roasting it kind of helps level it out but um yeah it can be a little bit much but maybe with some viognier to try that what about you guys any pairings come to mind yeah so i think um Typically, if we find a, a Viognier that's a little more citrusy and a little more uh, kind of mineral rich, we like to have those with uh, kind of grilled shrimp served over a marinated white bean salad. Either Usually the, the white beans are kind of cold and the, the grilled shrimp is hot, so you get a good contrast of temperature. And then the flavors go really well together, too. Just in a, a nice little you know vinaigrette type thing there. Yeah. I like it on a hot day just sitting outside. I think that's a great pair, especially if it's one of those (laughs) tropical, uh, refreshing, crisp viognets. Those are perfect for a warm day. And and even so, on that note, if you want to pair that with something, I think we we often do that with crab cakes. We do like a a, a crab cake with uh, Old Bay potatoes and usually some sort of uh, like a corn and red pepper slaw to go with it. And that's always that's amazing. That's always a really good combination too. Okay, we're coming over for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Any other words on Viognier? Try some today. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Excellent. Well, Jesse and Jessica, this has been a great time. Thank you again. Thank you. Thanks for having us. You can find out more information about the Winemouths by going to their website, winemouths.com, or on Facebook and Instagram at Winemouths. That's W-I-N-E-M-O-U-T-H-S. And now, back to the show. All right, so we're back with Wendy and Kelvin of Moon Lake Vineyards. So let's dive in a little bit more and talk about quality. You've, you've talked about spray programs and canopy management, and shoot positioning, and, and that sort of thing. But what are some of the other aspects of producing quality grapes that you're going to sell to someone and and, and make some, hopefully they're going to make some good wine? Milk? Absolutely. Uh, quality control is, it, it, when you have a buyer that, that's looking at your fruit, uh, should be foremost. 
we are, I would say the first thing is just scouting your vineyard. You have to be out there every day, actually. Uh, we are so fortunate that our vineyard is on our property. When we planted, we were worried that uh, it might be <laughs> too close to our home, but it, it's not. And it's beautiful to wake up and look look at every day. But uh, get, getting back to that, it, it makes me get up every day and go out there and see what's going on. And uh, scouting is, is, is so important. You walk through the vineyard, and if you see an issue, it's already too late. So if you can uh, stay on your spray programs, even early on dropping too much fruit, if, if you think that's going to be an issue for the year. And again, th- those are issues that you deal with early on. Don't, you, don't you agree? Yeah. I mean, we're constantly... Um and Wendy's out there more than I, because I have a regular job, but uh, it's just trying to stay on top of everything and just make sure that you keep it clean for harvest season. It's just being on top of everything. Yeah, absolutely. And you you give a, a buyer a, a bad ton of fruit and they're not going to come back to you. Your reputation is, is very much on what you deliver. We ask our wineries to come out that purchase our fruit and look at it and see, are we on schedule with you guys? Is this kind of what what you're expecting? And and what are you expecting for the the final product? But it's all about being there and and seeing what you have and how it's developing through the season. And we've been fortunate that, you know, we've sold to a lot of different buyers. But, uh, you know, even today, we've had people reach out to us looking for grapes because they can't find them. North Carolina's not been able to produce enough vineyard grapes for the demand. So we've been very fortunate that we've always had buyers in the background that has looked and outsourced us for grapes. So that's actually a really interesting point. Now, you all are the experts in the growing of the grapes in the vineyard, but you're you're obviously selling them to to wineries and places like that. So how much how much influence does the winery have in what goes on in the vineyard itself? And how much do you say, no, we can't do that? Talk to us about some of those you know relationships that you have. Well, it, it, it's interesting. Uh, we we've had from the spectrum one end to the other. We've had buyers that come here when it's getting close to harvest, uh, and we encourage that very, very much. They'll be here once a week just to see, to inspect the fruit, to do their samples, to check for sugars. And then we've had buyers that that they don't even want to see the fruit and just deliver it when it's time. And we're like, oh, my goodness, please come and see what, what you're getting. So there, it, it's a diverse thing. I, I guess it's it's to their own opinion, but we we encourage our buyers to come out and see the vineyard, see see our ethics, see what we do. I would encourage that to any winery that's buying fruit. So you talked a little bit about dropping fruit. How do you make a decision when to drop and which clusters? It's an interesting thing. Again, it's climate, it's growing conditions. It's varietal. It, it is very much varietal. I, I, I specifically go to the Pinot Grigio, the tight clusters. If it's a growing season that's you have good weather, everything is on point, you leave those extra clusters there and, and go for it. But if if you're predicting a, a, you know, a wet season with high humidity, all of those factors, 
you're going to drop that fruit because you know it's not going to be quality. You're going to get rots. It's just, yeah, you're very correct. It, it's in the uh, variety and and issues with, with growing conditions. And uh, earlier you mentioned scouting too. So walk us through what you do with scouting. I mean, this is there's so many things you could probably do, but talk us talk us about your yes, approach. Yes, each and every opportunity you had to go out to the vineyard, you're looking for any disease pressure most prominent in the leaves. Uh, and then when your fruit comes on, you can see that in your in your fruit. And that would be, uh, again, disease and also insect pressure. And that's just, again, walking through and, and seeing any any uh, issues with, with the fruit or the or the leaves or even the trunk and shoots. True. So now you mentioned staying on top of it, too. So I, I imagine, do you keep it all in your head or do you have techniques that you like journal or document or diary? What do you what do you work with? All of that. Uh, it's mostly <laughs> in your head. And I go to Kelvin and say, oh, my gosh, we need to spray tomorrow. Yeah, and, then we, <laughs> and you have to keep a record of what you're spraying, what you're putting, the amount per acre, what the type of spray is. And they can come back and look at you and say, hey, what have you been doing to manage this vineyard? So that's a big thing. You have to keep a record of what you're doing. Always record keeping when it comes to things that go into alcohol. <laughs> <Sure. Right. laughs> so one thing that we haven't touched on yeah. is how did you come up with the name Moon Lake Vineyards? Where did the Moon Lake come from? Well, again, we are nestled on Kelvin's farm, his family farm. Yeah, we have about 50 acres and we have a, uh, a lake in front of our house and Somehow we were out here one night with some friends, and uh, we walked down to the pond. It was a full moon. Full moon. It was glistening off the pond, and that's kind of how we came up with it, Moon Lake Vineyard. It was just like, oh, my goodness, this is it. It's yeah. Moon Lake. It's, it's a Moon Lake. Uh, it was a beautiful evening, Sounds and brilliant. we were like, that, that's got to be the name. And sometimes the name writes itself. Absolutely. In that case, it sure did. So talk to us about... Besides growing grapes, there's some other things that go on on the farm. Are there events, I think, that you have and that sort of thing? Talk to us a little bit about those. Sure. Um, we are actually uh, a agritourism vineyard. So we, we do tours uh, for the vineyard. It's, it's so surprising and fun that people are interested in just a working vineyard, even though we don't make wine and produce uh, wine, but they still want to see how this happens. We do do tours and... We do actually quite a few weddings on the property. We have a website, moonlakevineyards.com, if you want to see some of the weddings we've had and are interested in, in having a wedding here. Uh, and we also have a uh, private event every harvest to celebrate our, our end of harvest, our end of season. And it's about five or six bands. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's for just friends and family and everyone who supports us through the year, every year. We have about 300 people here. Uh, It's just a celebration of music and wine and uh, friends to uh, say it's it's harvest. (laughs) It's 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 a fun event. It's always something worth celebrating, too. The end of the harvest season, the the hard, hard work is done. 100%. So maybe let's dive in while we're talking about harvest. Maybe let's dive in a little bit. So it's you decided today's the day. Today's the day to harvest the grapes. Kind of walk us through what that happened, how that happens. And like from a timing perspective, typically, and then 
and who helps and how's it done and all of that. Harvest is the most special, stressful. It's every emotion you can have for a grower to have. We we are elated, but yet we're we're we we're so stressed out at harvest. Uh, and it really, we want it to be actually uh, dependent on the buyer, uh, the, the winery. They pretty much tell us, hey, those grapes are, are coming down this day. And it, obviously, it's a, a mutual thing that we talk about. They rely on us saying, you know, the fruit is at this point, the sugars are here, the pH is here. The rain is coming in a day. The rain is coming in three days, uh, whatever the issue is. But yes, we always want the buyer to decide that this is when the fruit needs to come down. And sometimes it's a week ahead. Sometimes it's one day. <laughs> and we rely, we don't, um, we don't actually hire uh, workers. We have friends and family They've been helping us since 07 when we planted, which I guess our first harvest was. And, uh, and we've been fortunate. We can start, say, 7 o'clock in the morning. We'll be done by 10 o'clock and get them off. And the fire comes and pick them up. And it works remarkably well. And we've had some really great support from our community and our friends. Yes, correct. Uh, and it hasn't always been that way that they pick them up. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes we deliver our, it depends on the buyer. Sure. If they're close enough, uh, we can deliver those. But, oh, it it's, yes, it's not uh, an easy, uh, it's a very challenging event for the day. You know, you coordinate your people, your supplies, your, everything that goes into it. Uh, it's a it, it's a lot of work. It is a lot of work, but at the end of the day, when we get done, we take care of our pickers. We make sure they have an enjoyable day. We make sure they're fed, they're drank. We have a good time. So it's not, <laughs> everyone celebrates. Every, everyone celebrates, and it's just not, you know, it's not like work. The people yeah. uh, are constantly just talking with each other and just enjoying. It's a community event. Yeah, it's a community event. And there are four a year. We have four harvests, four varieties. And, yes, there, there's there's no better feeling to get this, that fruit off and into the hands of, of the winemaker to do his magic, his or her magic. Sure. So, Wendy, you had mentioned, you had asked the question, when was your first harvest? I know you're thinking back on it, but you planted in 07. So, so when would have been your first harvest? It was 2010. Mm-hmm. We, we let those uh, vines mature for three years and had our first harvest. They they always say your first harvest is the most magical, and it, it, it truly was. Mm. We had a beautiful, beautiful, bountiful harvest, our, our 2010 harvest. It was very special. And, and, and yes, I don't think we've had one like that since. Uh, uh, the challenges occurred after that. You know, we've that, had some good harvests. We've had some beautiful harvests. Yeah. But it's incredibly challenging to grow grapes in North Carolina. That, that's, that's the growing uh, feedback that we get. But I think it, it does pay off. There is some really good wine here in the state. Absolutely. I'm, I'm glad that uh, it, it, it's, it's uh, continuing to, to come on, mm-hmm. to improve. So what's some advice that you might have if someone 
is thinking about planting a vineyard and growing grapes, what, what's some advice that you would give them besides run for your lives? And and give me, don't, 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 don't do, do it. it. <laughs> Unless you've got time to uh, give to it or you've got money to provide somebody to take care of it. I mean, it is not uh, the romanticized thing. Of, you're not out there sipping wine while you're <laughs> tending to the, to it the is, fruit. It's work. It is incredible. My dad, we grow tobacco, but it is more intensive and more labor conscious than tobacco was. So, you know, we have a lot of people that come to us and say, oh, I've got a piece of property. I'd love to do this. But unless they want to spend a lot of time doing it, tilling to it, I'd say don't do it. You got to want to do it and you got to love to do it. You don't plan a vacation. In, in the growing season, you do not go away from your vineyard from April to October. Mm-hmm. You don't leave your vineyard at that time. <laughs> We've done this since 07, mm-hmm. and I got really cocky as a grower and finally took a vacation longer than five days last summer, mm-hmm. last June, and came back to a disaster. We had an issue with the uh, with downy mildew, and it's it's because we were away too long. So yes, if you plant a vineyard, know that you're going to spend the growing season at your vineyard. You just have to be there. That's really good advice, and I think that might be something people who are just kind of have a passing interest might think that they could get away with. But let's say maybe you're giving advice to someone who is really going to be committed and in, in going into it. Uh, would you recommend, like, would you have any recommendations on, like, vineyard size or vineyard varietals? I know you guys are at four acres right now of grapes, but is that too much? Is that too little? What do you, what would you think? I would start small. Make sure you know who you're going to sell to. Make sure you've been to school, done your homework, and and uh, plan the right varietals. But other than that, I mean, you know, you can always plant more, but make sure what you're doing is beneficial to uh our industry. I, I remember uh, my professor at uh, Surrey Community College said one person per acre. You can count on, you know, being able to manage that. And we planted four. And <laughs> me. It, it, Kelvin is my sprayer. <laughs> uh, so, yes, uh, starts. We, we started too big, and that was just at four acres. It, it's a lot of work. It's, it's a whole lot of work. Yeah, if you're not committed to being out there every day, it's it's not going to work. So what would be the smallest size that you would say? Like, obviously, more than one or two plants, but would, would you be, what would you recommend? I would recommend an acre and, and see, how, see how you can do with that and then build from, from there. Um, four it, acres is a lot. It is a lot. For one person. But make sure you're planting something that's beneficial to North Carolina, you know, we planted varieties that we thought that would be great for North Carolina. Don't plant things that uh, like Chardonnay or Merlot or something like that. Just make sure you plant something that, that, that will enhance North Carolina wine. Yeah, don't plant a Pinot. No, a Pinot Noir. Yeah. <laughs> no, don't plant Pinot Noir. I agree. Yeah, the Chardonnays and Merlots, they bud break way too early. And I mean, I'm already seeing post of people Merlot's butt breaking it's like 
okay, well, then next weekend we're, we're forecast to have a freeze. And so um, what does that mean for, for them? But hopefully this particular vineyard has usually has pretty good luck with avoiding those freezes. So hopefully it will be okay. But I do love a good Chardonnay though. So oh, it, it breaks my heart. <laughs> don't we all? So, so thinking about varietals too, would you recommend like if a person was getting started with one acre, would you say all the same varietal or would you say a couple different or what would you, what would you recommend on that? It, it depends. If, if you're getting into this to make a little bit of money, because again, you're not going to make money uh, growing grapes, uh, I would focus on, on one varietal. But if you're just experimenting to see how those varietals do, uh, do a, a row of, of uh, three or four and, and just see how those develop. And, and uh, again, the disease pressure, everything else, and then, then focus on that one and, and find a little more. I've always pictured, you know, like planting like two or three vines just to see. <laughs> I would do that. I wish I had done that. <laughs> I may not have you still can now. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, you also mentioned, um, you know, know who's going to buy your grapes. Let's talk a little bit about that for a little bit. Um, how, how do you make that connection? How do you go about selling your grapes? We were so fortunate. Uh, when I was at Surrey Community, I also did an internship with a winery and developed a relationship. And that is the key word, relationship. I would advise anyone getting into this to do their research and go visit a, a ton of wineries and see, you know, what kind of uh, wine they're making, what they're growing, what their needs are, and develop those relationships. That's so, so important. You know, let them know what if you're organic, if, you know, if you are, are not your ethical practices in the vineyard. That's important to, to buyers, to, to wineries. And yeah, we, we've been so fortunate that uh, we've had some great relationships with our buyers and they come out, they see what you're doing, they see your practices and uh, your commitment to your vineyard. And that makes a difference. Now, you've mentioned something a couple of times now, and that's the ethical practices in the vineyard. So do you mind going into what yours are for Moon Lake? Sure. It, it's incredibly hard to have a vinifera uh, vineyard without spraying it, it's just almost it, it would literally be impossible for our climate we deal with with uh, so much rain and the humidity but we do do our best in trying to lessen those sprays we had six guineas they are great for pest uh for insect control mm -hmm. uh, but something has gotten into our guineas mm -hmm. we have one left uh, we have a bird call. This is the first year we're finally going to net. We've mm. never netted, mm. uh, but our 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 bird uh, infestation has gotten uh, to the point where we we do need to do something else. Again, we have a, a deer fence. What else do we do to uh, to help with our our pests and predators? Well, we're just we're out there, and um, I hate to say it, but we have to hunt our predators. You know, that's part of it, and you just have to manage that the best you can. We do have to spray for weeds. Mm -hmm. um, I did experiment one year to let my weeds grow to battle the, the growth of the vines. We thought that would help with, with that, and it was a disaster. Mm -hmm. oh, no. Insects and took over, and it, it, that was not a—but you have that's part of growing, too. You experiment. It just didn't work that year. 
but, but yeah, it's, it's all about a trial and error and uh, still we, we will never, ever figure everything out. It's the beauty of just trying different, different things. True. Well, and each year is different. Every, you know, you might have a different. really wet year, you might have a really dry year. And so that's going to make a huge difference. Never had the same growing season well, ever. In the last two years have been both record rainfall years for North Carolina. Right. It's been trying a lot of in a lot of uh, praying. <laughs> yeah, I oh yes, and we do have a lot of little microclimates in the state too. So your vineyard might be different than someone who's just five ten miles away. So true. It's so crazy. What two days before harvest one year, our buyer was like, "How's your fruit?" I was like, "It's great, but it's it's pouring down rain." He said, "No, it's not. Um, it, it, it's sunny and uh, beautiful where I am, and I'm, I took a picture, and I was, you know, it, it's amazing an hour away that it's the climate is that different. Even, uh, you know, ten minutes away can be different. Oh yes, yeah, we're we're the same thing. So we're in the southern part of Iredell County. We're in Mooresville, yeah, and it's just even one side of Mooresville to the other, it can be completely different. It's like, hmm, okay, <laughs> absolutely, can't predict it. So looking back on the the past several years, what has left the biggest impact on the both of you? I think the biggest impact uh, is just we're so grateful. I am. I know you are, too, Kelvin. (laughs) We are just growers, and I shouldn't downsize that at all. But just the fact that people are so uh, generous in their thinking of of us, they're they're always like, how's the vineyard? How's the growing season? How are the grapes? And we don't make wine. We're, we're just farmers. We're not, we don't feel that important in the industry. But again, our friends and family and community reminds us that we kind of are. And they come out and at harvest and help us. They want to be here. They want to be a part of this. It's a little overwhelming to, to know that, that people so much support what we do. That's a little overwhelming to me. True. But I think you really hit on it. We wouldn't have wine if we didn't have grape growers. So a very vital part of the industry. Probably the most important part of the industry, because without good fruit, you couldn't have good wine. So, <laughs> Well, we're very grateful. So what do you most look forward to in the future besides planting your Petit Verdot and doing well? End of the season. Can't <laughs> <laughs> more. When harvest comes, it, it's so funny. Uh, about February, I get really, really anxious because you, you have from about October to February to just kind of relax and exhale and know, you know, your season is over. So about February, I, I get antsy and like I'm so excited to get back out there and start pruning and everything starts coming alive in March and April. But then in August and September, you're like, oh, my gosh, why do I do this? You're so ready for those hot days and those sprays, and you're so anxious for harvest. Yeah, and you want to get that harvest behind you and just say, oh, that's one more down. Let's get the next one. We'll keep going. And A grower's favorite day is harvest, no doubt, no doubt. So, yes, the future is always the last day of harvest. <laughs> but you still have to maintain it. Even after harvest, you still have to maintain the vineyard even till it goes down for the wintertime. So there's there's always something to do. So now what do you think the future of grape growing in North Carolina looks like? Uh, huge. There's not enough grapes right now to supply the demand. I'm not going to say what people are doing, but... Right now, 
there's not enough vineyards to supply the demand of what wine has been drinking in uh, North Carolina. We are uh, extremely fortunate to have had a quality fruit that it's accepted in the industry. And there's nothing more. It, it's so exciting to, to see your fruit in a bottle that's that's tasty and and uh, and and uh, appealing to the masses. We remember this industry when we first began. The wines were not that great. There were some good ones out there, but as a whole, North Carolina wines were not palatable. And yeah, when we started, there was only 30 wineries in the state and maybe two vineyards and. Uh, in, our in, our, in our county, now it's probably close to 300 wineries, which is crazy. Oh, it's it's beautiful thing, and it they is. they need grapes, and, yeah. but they need quality grapes. So you know, future vintners don't don't just plant them and think you're going to have a buyer. Please produce quality fruit. It makes us all look good. True. And, and uh, we want those wineries to succeed. We, we are so excited about North Carolina wines. Um, I remember uh, when we first got into this, we were told we were about 20 years behind Virginia. And I still believe that. I still think we're about 20 years behind Virginia. But, wow, we're about 20 years beyond where we were. Right. So our wines are, are much better than they were 20 years ago. And our, our vineyards are, are 20 years better than they were. Well, that's really great advice. I totally agree. So any any last words for the listeners as we wrap up? You've already given your, your uh, web address, moonlakevineyards.com. Maybe tell folks where they can, where you're kind of physically located as well, if they want to come by for a tour or have a wedding or whatever. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, we are at 1193 Tabor Road in Olin, NC. Uh, and again, we uh, we host uh, any event that, that outdoors, if it's needed outdoors, uh, weddings, corporate events, parties, True. Uh, music festivals. Yeah, we've had uh, a large music festival here, so we, we do anything. Absolutely. I was just going to say, please continue to drink North Carolina wines. We are up and coming. We are improving every every year. And uh, don't forget, you're, you're a great farmer. We do work hard out here to, to make those wines a little mm. better in each bottle. That's a great reminder and I think a great uh, way to end the episode. Wendy, Kelvin, thank you for, for joining us today on Clark's Talk. That's it for this episode of Cork Talk. Thanks again to Wendy and Kelvin. They are a wealth of knowledge and are willing to share with anyone who wants to learn more. If you like this episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating and review. It helps others find Cork Talk and lets us know how we can improve. Did you know we have a Patreon page? You'll get patron-only content, early access to each show, and more when you sign up. You can find more information at patreon.com slash corktalk. And don't forget to follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at NC Wine Guys. Until next time, and remember, Cork Only Talks when it's out of the bottle. Cheers! Cork Talk is a free-run LLC production. This episode was made possible in part by a grant from the North Carolina Wine and Grape Council.